Uh, yeah, I think we are live. We're very much live. Things are happening. We're here. Uh, I've got the chat here. Right. Hello. Can everyone hear us? Hello. Right. It's happening, John. We're, we're live. My highly professional production skills are happening. People are saying hello. Uh, how, how's the audio balance? People who are watching. Is it good? Are we all right? Am I loud? John hasn't actually said anything yet, so you probably have no idea. Um, this, jo- this is me saying something. Uh, these are some words coming out of my mouth. Does that sound <laughs> like a, a, a normal level for, for audio? That's, um, I mean, it's my little swingy things here look about right, but we'll see what people are saying when they, that people can hear us. That's, I mean, essentially, that's what, that's a good start, isn't it? This actually gets converted into a podcast by a very friendly um, chap from the Netherlands. So there is, there is an audio only release of this for some strange reason, despite the fact that it's um, heavily visual. But uh, there we go. People are saying, yeah, audio is good, fine, marvellous. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode nine of Rail Natter. Sorry we're late, but uh, we, had a, we had some uh, staffing issues that delayed us um, uh, by a couple of days. But I'm glad to say John is alive and well. And, and with us here, we have John Elledge off of um, many things. I, hello. I, I, yeah, I've, wait a minute, let's, let's, go full, let's go side by side. There we go. I've, I've referred to John as journalist, columnist, editor, but I don't feel like that does John justice. Given given the amount of hearty railway content that you pump out, as well as being you know like a serious I, journalist, I think that's overstating it. I think like internet troll is probably a more <laughs> yeah. appropriate way of describing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, somehow turned trolling into an actual living. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> hello everyone. Are we well? Are we excited to be watching people talk about trains on a Friday night. Yeah, because that, that's a normal thing to be doing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a normal thing to be doing. I mean, we've got. A lot of people, do, I mean, relatively speaking, quite a few people doing it, which is quite nice. Hello all, hello, hello to everyone. Um, I'm drinking sherry. I'm, normally I've got a cup of tea or maybe a whiskey, but because I'm also um, a, a granny from the 1970s, I'm drinking a glass of sherry, uh, which is entirely normal. Oh, I've gone for the, um, I'm leaning back to my Essex roots and drinking ah, Stella. Stella Artois, a nice, <laughs> nice kind of white beater. Absolutely right. terrific. Right, so without further ado, so what... Let's let's go back to small uh, faces again. Well, today we're going to be talking about. Actually, this is cheeky because it's it's fairly free content. You've written this piece. This is old hat, basically. This is oh, you've already yeah. you've already yeah. stuck your flag in the sand, haven't you? Yeah, no, I did. Th- I can't even remember when I did this. Twenty eighteen. I should yeah. probably get the article up in front of me, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a good point because I've got them in the order in the article. But if you've changed your mind, it might be awkward. Oh, probably. No, that one's London boroughs. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, the, the the thing is, like, it's just a neat trick with online content. You just stick official and objective in the headline, and then it doesn't matter what you write. People want to argue with it, and therefore they will click it. Yep. So it's it's a sort of very neat trick to get people to actually sort of engage with your stupid content. It's just to pretend you're being objective when you're just spouting bullshit opinions onto the internet. Exactly, and it's one that I'm very much exploiting for tonight's real matter. Because, uh, yeah, why not recycle the same gag over and over and over again? Um Anyway, right. So, without further ado, we're gonna we're gonna get started, and we're gonna have. Um, I'll just check everything's working. It's all working. Good. I've got lots of people saying that this is moving. So terrific. Uh, let's let's kick off. Let's uh, get started with today's rail matter. Lovely Intercity 225. And as it fades out, yeah, as, as we said, we've got John here. Um, so 
Lovely, we're back. So that, that's a bit weird for guests because they just hear silence, but all of you folks have heard the lovely Ivor the Engine secondary tunes going, that, that wonderful bassoon. Um, well, let's start with the news. Let's just kick straight off. We've already done some chatting. Let's, let's go into the news. This is a tunnel boring machine. Um, and HS2 have started doing that thing that all, all, um, all organisations do, which is naming a tunnel boring machine after a famous woman. Uh, I don't know why this has become a tradition, but it has. It's a tradition that we probably ought to get rid of uh, because actually it's, it's kind of old-fashioned. But anyway, it's happening, and they've just released a... You can click on a link and name... Unfortunately, they've, they've been very clever. They've not fallen into the Boaty McBoatface trip uh, where they've left it open. They've, they went out to primary school kids, seeded a bunch of primary school kids with ideas they'd already had, and now they've listed them, and you can click buttons. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. What's on the shortlist? I haven't seen this. Oh, it's, it's things like, I think one of those like Florence Nightingale and they, they've gone for all the topical big hitters. Uh, there, there are a few sort of standard, because the, the Crossrail ones were quite good because some of them were like people who had a particular interest in it or, or you know, there were, there were, you know, uh, some of the women who were involved in the Blitz in certain parts of the line. There were some interesting stories on the Crossrail ones. You probably know this better than I do. But I think they, they've gone a bit more generic. These, these are the two that are going under the Chilterns. So... Tremendously popular pair of tunnel boring machines, these. Uh, yeah. Um, they don't look anything like... Well, they will look a bit like that. That's just a, a generic image I found that was, uh, I think, probably royalty-free on the internet. Anyway, that's not hugely exciting. But go and vote. I'm sure that'll be nice, and we can name some TBMs. More importantly, TFL. This is, this is, this is where you can get stuck in, John. Tell us what's happened today in the news about TFL. Oh, so this, this is good. This is a story I actually know something about, because I, I wrote it up this morning. Um, so basically, TFL came hilariously close to running out of money last night and had to, had to go to national government and basically beg for a bailout. Uh, TFL wanted two billion quid. The na national government said no, but you can have 1.1 billion and another half a billion in loans. And in exchange, uh, national government has asked for a bunch of, uh, has, attached a bunch of strings to this so like they're going to have uh department for transport representatives on on the board of tfl now uh, my favorite of the strings is is the hilarious fact that sadiq khan is no longer allowed to use his stay at home messaging he has to use the national government's entirely clear and in no way confusing stay alert <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but also fares are going to rise by one percent ahead of inflation next year and so on and so forth. Oh, the, the Freedom Pass, which is the, the thing whereby retirement age Londoners get free travel, will no longer work at peak hours. And, you know, some of these strings are, are a bit weird and worrying, and some of them are, are, are quite good, actually. Like, it probably does make sense to stop retired people from just getting on crowded tubes full of people coughing um, in, in the middle of rush hour, both from a demand management point of view and from a not-killing-the-over-70s point of view. So I think it's a sort of... Um, a mixed bag. It is being spun by by the Tories and their outriders as like Sadiq Khan has has been profligate. He's failed to manage London's finances, and so on and so forth. And there is kind of there is a glimmer of truth in that. In that that Khan's big pre-election promise in 2016 was to freeze fares for four years, which he's done. And since since farebox revenues are TfL's main source of income, that is obviously a huge problem. Uh, but on the other hand. That has cost TfL £640 million over four years. As it stands, it is costing TfL... Six, TfL has lost £600 million every month during lockdown. 
um, because it's so dependent on those fair revenues and suddenly no one's traveling. Mm. So so it's it's a little bit Sadiq's fault, but not nearly as much as it's being spun by. And the original sin here is basically that in 2015, yeah. their chancellor, George Osborne, uh, agreed to deal with Boris Johnson, who was their mayor, that London wouldn't get any uh, revenue grant from national government anymore. And that is fundamentally the problem, is that London Transport hasn't been running without any subsidy from national government, which it turns out is absolutely brilliant in good times, because it means that London is one of the few cities in the world where the tube is subsidising the road network, which is... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it does also mean that the minute we run into a major problem like this, suddenly there's no there's no money anymore. Um, so I kind of think that a bailout of some sort was probably inevitable. Um, and the question now is whether the Tories are going to succeed in spinning this as the mayor has screwed up or whether he will actually be able to spin it as, you know, I didn't want to raise your fares, but this Tory government did. So and it's, that's what we are. Yeah, and it's it's a funny one because I've seen a lot of interesting conversations popping up on the on on the Twitter sphere, of um of people kind of going, oh well, we shouldn't be funding London anyway, and it's like, well, I mean, technically London is funding everyone else, and all these sort of weird discussions, and 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 and, and weird, and also seeing people on the left making similar arguments. It's like, no, 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 this is one of those have your cake and eat it situations. There is no good reason that we shouldn't be funding, to its fullest extent, public transport in London and everywhere else. There is no good economic reason not to be investing like an order of magnitude more than we are everywhere right now. None at all. This is this is true. But there is like the, I, I once joked that the, when I was running City Metric, that if it had a motto, it would be whatever the Latin is for. It depends how you count, <laughs> um, because so many of these things, it's, you can look at them in completely different ways and get completely different answers. And I think this is one of them, because if you talk about it purely in terms of the revenue grant, then London is not being subsidised by the rest of the country. In fact, London Transport is subsidising the rest of the country, or at least London's roads, which are sort of, that should be a national government thing, isn't. Um, But on the other hand, if you look at our capital spend on on public transport going back, not just decades, but literally centuries, um, London has obviously had far more investment than anywhere else in the country per capita by by a very, very long way. Um, so, so does that mean that London has been subsidised or does that mean that London is actually paying more than its way? It does just totally depend on your perspective on it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, uh, conscious of time, we, we should get on to the matter at hand. What I'm going to do, though, is put, is put you up here and go back and show people a TBM because uh, I forgot to. There we are, there's a TBM. Uh, yeah. No one else could see it, but there it is. I was conscious that I was staring at it, but no, I didn't realise I was staring at it, no one else was. As I said, professional to the last. So, right, there's a TBM. There's the TFL logo and uh, postage stamp size, John, uh, Elledge and me. And, uh, oh. and here's London. Thanks, OpenStreetMap. Bit of London there. Um, it's, it's, it's all right. I, I'm one of these people who used to, like, humorously say I'm not a London fan, but actually, like, realise that it's an incredibly annoying thing. And actually, I, I love London. It's brilliant. It's, it's a brilliant city. And all the things that are maybe a bit irritating about it actually just make it a bit more brilliant. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a Scot, uh, I'm a Northerner, I'm, I'm, I'm a regional person, so you know, no matter how you spin it, I'm not a London city sort of city person. But I love going to London, it's brilliant. There's loads of railway stuff to look at for starters. Um, yeah, but there's a problem and it's that there's this weird sort of no man's land with no major railway stations in it, or certainly no major sort of uh, heavy rail sort of termini in it. Uh, and, well... I don't know what the best way to, to explain it. Probably putting this... Let's, okay, right. So we're going to go through chronologically of all the termini. So we're going to whiz back to 1835. Um, 
and maybe as we go through this, John, you might want to just sort of input things about... So we're not necessarily ranking them yet. This is just chronology. But maybe you want to sort of say a, a few things about why some of the stations appeared the, where they did, to, to the extent that you know. Uh, my knowledge of the history of the, these is like cursory um, at best. If, if you want to know what type of rail was being used to get into London Bridge Station in the, in the 1840s, I'm all over it. But why London Bridge appeared where it did... Uh, I defer. Anyway, so 1835, there's nothing. It's a blank canvas. We've had 10 years of modern railways, but they haven't reached London yet. Um, and then in 1836, the first one did, which was London Bridge Station. Uh, hooray! Um, yeah. So I've, Okay. Yeah, sorry. Go on, John. I was going to say, as I understand it, the first, the first heavy railway into London was, was uh, from London Bridge down to Greenwich and then ultimately beyond. But initially, it was just that bit. Um, we're going to see a pattern here, which is that railway stations built to the south and east of London tend to come in closer to the city centre than those to built to the north and west. I do not think it is a coincidence that the people who lived to the south and east of London tended to be a lot poorer than those who lived to the north and west. And so it was fundamentally easier to demolish their houses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, to be fair, pretty much... That's one thing that actually is I've enjoyed about... Well, not enjoyed. That's the wrong word to use. Everyone's going to now scream at me. But... Um, HS2, okay, in Camden, there have been, obviously, it is going through some poorer areas, but by and large, HS2 is impacting broadly more on slightly better off parts of the country, uh, basically those not in cities, frankly, um, which is potentially why there's been so much opposition in certain areas and not nearly as much opposition in others. Anyway, that's a, that's a thesis to discuss in future. We're not going to talk about HS2 now. Well, not yet. Um, oh, maybe we should. Here's Houston. 1837. So, yeah, only a year later, we had um, Euston arrived. Uh, Stevenson uh, brought the railway to Euston. Yeah, and this, this kind of demonstrates the point I was making, which is that is, that is the edge of the urban build-up in, in 1837. It basically got to the edge of London and stopped because the people who lived just across what is now Euston Road in Bloomsbury um, had, had some money whereas the people who lived in Bermondsey, whose homes were demolished by, by the route into London Bridge, didn't. So screw those guys, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, so Paddington then appeared, and it's, as you say, it's much the same story. I mean, it's also, it does look weird. It's so far off. Uh, it is. Anyway, we'll get there, won't we, moaning specifically about it. But it, do, it does look weird on the map when you see how far away it is from everything. Um, and then, so that's yeah. 1838. So in a very short space of time, we've had three major stations appear. Um, Bishopsgate. So we've got the first thing looking kind of to the to the east with Bishopsgate Station opening. Um, I think it's roughly on the site where Shoreditch. In fact, it's entirely on the site where Shoreditch High Street is now, right? Yeah, there's a big um, development site there that that is the source of some controversy because it's you know inevitably it's going to be sort of posh flats and offices and rather than much needed social housing. Uh, but that is that is one of the this bigger empty spaces in, in central London that's kind of waiting for, for rich people to turn up and build things. Uh, and there's also just up the road from where I am right now, which is nice. Ah, that's nice. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you might, be, you might correct me on this. It's my understanding that Shoreditch High Street Station will and certainly ought to get a central line station once the central line has been relieved a bit by Crossrail. Is that broadly right? I mean, I don't know if there are any concrete plans, but it, it's, it is a bit out on a limb, despite being on the top of the central line. I've, I've heard this. I'm not sure if it's... It's certainly been speculated about in kind of, you know, railway nerd groups, for as long as I can remember. Like, you remember this being discussed on UK.transport.com <laughs> yeah. in, in the late 1990s, uh, which, is, which, is, which is going back a bit because I'm terribly old. Um, 
But as I understand it, there are a couple of problems, one of which is that bit of the central line is is on a slope. So so you're not meant to have sloping platforms. Um, the other bit is it's quite a lot of money. And to what extent do you necessarily need that? Like it's only five minutes up the road from Liverpool Street. If you want to change um, from from what is now the London Overground to routes heading east or west, you'll be able to do that on, on Crossrail yeah. at, at Whitechapel some point in the reasonably near future. It's it's one of those that, you know, I think it would be it would be lovely because it kind of fills an aggravating hole on the map. But is it actually worth spending however many million pounds? I don't know. Um, something I do believe is correct, though, is if you look at Shoreditch High Street Station, it's this weird, ugly concrete box thing. Um, but it has been built that way for a reason. It's so that one day you can put a bloody skyscraper around yeah. it if you want to, yeah, yeah. Um, which, is, which is mental. But, you know, it's nice they're planning ahead. Yeah, it is. I'll, I have like very mixed feelings about boxing in stations. And there's an emerging theme. So I use a lot of aerial photographs, actually, in this later on as we go through the slides. And, and there's a theme that emerges amongst all the London stations, um, which, we'll, which we'll come to. Anyway, so we're in 1840. We've had well, not even five years, and we've, we've got four stations. Then we've got Fenchurch Street that, that picks up. Stop me if you have anything interesting to add on these. I'll, kind of ham- I'll, I'll hammer through them. Fenchurch Street appears. Um, we've got oh, Bricklayer's Arms Station hey. appears. Tell, what, what, what the hell is Bricklayer's Arms Station? What, 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 tell, tell us something about it. So it's another one I used to live five minutes away. Oh, really? when I, first, <laughs> I first moved to central London in 2002. I lived on the Old Kent Road. Um, and it's not, Bricklayer's Arms Station is long gone. It's an industrial estate now. But as I understand it, it was opened hilariously as the West End terminus of, of the Southeastern Railway. <laughs> you will notice Claire's Arms is quite a long way from the West End, but it was marginally easier to get there via, I don't know, it must have been tram or bus or something, um, or stagecoach. Yes. Right, like, um, so, so they advertised it as the West End terminus, despite the fact it's you know a good three miles from the West End, which is, you know... It's a bit like the way I once got a flight to, to Vienna Bratislava Airport, which on, on Ryanair, which is in not only not in Vienna, it's in a different country from Vienna. <laughs> but it's it's that kind of principle, but the the Victorian version, I think. Yeah, and and as we'll see in about three clicks of my um, arrow keys, it didn't last very long as a result. Um, mm. So Waterloo appears. I, I mean, I've used the the current station outlines in this graphic, but actually Waterloo was a right old hodgepodge for its entire and, until they rebuilt it in the early nineteen hundreds. Um, but anyway, there's there's Waterloo. Um, God, so huge. I've got I've got a Waterloo fact for you. Ooh, if you go want. On. Just to just to really delay the point where we get to the what we're actually meant to talk <laughs> yeah. about. Um, so Waterloo station was named after waterloo bridge which was named in commemoration of the battle of waterloo so the area now known as waterloo was originally named after the bridge and not the other way around ah that's good that is good i didn't i had not clocked that it's a lovely bridge i like um, i like it's waterloo bridge it's, it's it's got one of the best views of any bridge in in london so ah, yeah yeah that's very true it isn't it isn't a good spot anyway right okay waterloo Ah, right, yeah, the, the first fatality. So my little counter there has dropped back from seven down to six because we've lost Bricklayer's Arm barely, what is it, that eight years after it opened? This Brick is to passengers. Arm. It stayed open for goods for a while, as often happens, but yeah, it, to passengers. Bricklayer's Arms, you are with the angels now. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, King's Cross, the glorious King's Cross appears. Um, actually, so this, there's a, there is a station that I've skipped here, which you'd pointed out, which is a temporary terminus um, just north of King's Cross Station, 
Maiden Lane. Maiden Lane. But the reason mm. I didn't include it is because it was built knowing it was temporary. So my arbitrary rules for what's going on this map, it, it doesn't get, count that. But also there was a temporary terminus for Paddington as well, which I hadn't included. Oh, I didn't know that. What yeah, I can't remember. It's, it's, it's currently where the, the building they've called Brunel has gone, I think. You have to double... So, you know, there's that building that's called Brunel House or something, and it's a horror... Well, it's a modernist thing, and it's kind of next to the canal. Um, that was where the original station was before the... And it was there for quite a long time, actually, and then Paddington appeared. Obviously, this, what is, this is... Um, anyway, yeah, Paddington appeared a bit after that temporary terminus had, had closed up. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't remember what it was called, frustratingly. But anyway, it's, uh, there's one for Google. Uh, so, what you King's Cross, that's 1852. Um, I've got a couple of name facts, if you want to. Oh, yeah, go on. Uh, so, so, King's Cross, by the time they named the station, that was named after the area, which had been named after a memorial to George IV, I think. Um, that wasn't there anymore. So, the actual, the actual <laughs> cross, King's Cross is named after, was only there for about seven years or something. Really, yeah. It was yeah, a pretty I'm... rough king um but but you know it stuck as a name for the area it used to be called Battlebridge, uh but it became the area got called king's cross and the station got named after the area maiden lane to the north of that was named after um what one might euphemistically refer to as the main trade operator <laughs> at the time like all the great plains we see around british cities great plain is, is as renamed by some prude at some point in history from grope lane which was indeed the um the primary yeah. source of income for the city was generally uh, plied on that street. Um, yeah, there, I'm pretty sure there's an engraving of the King's Cross somewhere uh, of like what it did look like, or maybe there's loads. I just see, I do have an image in my head of this sort of th- this kind of stone masonry th- or stone thing carved up that is very much no, no longer existing. Um, what other? F- yeah, King's Cross. Uh, it's a shame that it's not called Battlebridge though, because for all the sort of Star Trek reasons in my head, it would be nice to be able to say to the Battlebridge. <laughs> um, to Battlebridge. Anyway, right, I'll move on. Sorry, everyone. Um, right. Oh, David Shepard, I'm going to pause this briefly. David Shepard has a question, um, which is... Yeah, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, David, we're going to hold on. He's asking about rankings and how things have shifted around. We're going to hold off on that until we get to the rankings. So um, keep throwing things, that's fine. Anyway, right, okay, so I'm going to keep... Ha- We've got Victoria. Awful Victoria. Here it is. Why Hate is it, it there? It's so weird. It's such a weird... The, the whole railway layout, the way it curves around, I do find it strange as a station. I just think... I'm, I'm, I'm holding back on my opinions on Victoria, but they have got me in trouble with my, with my other half. <laughs> uh, remarkably, who actually exists, despite the fact I have strong opinions on shit like this. Bitter, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it was, her, it was her local station growing up, so she, she is not happy about where it, where it falls in my rankings. <laughs> so then we've got Charing Cross... Um, and okay, so Charing Cross appears. Then we've got Broad Street appears, uh, which uh, yeah, some people might not recognise for reasons. Uh, yeah, again, stop me if you've got any interesting tidbits. So then we've got oh, okay, so Broad, Broad Street um, uh, only closed in like the eighties, didn't it? But it yeah, was yeah. it was at one point London's I think third busiest rail really? terminal. Yeah, which is mental because the trains didn't go any further than I think Watford. Yeah, it was just but, a North but, London line feed. It was basically yeah. the North London line terminus, right? A lot of the suburban lines to the north of London ran into Broad Street. Um, so it just had a lot of suburban passengers. And then gradually they diverted all those lines and it tailed off. And uh, they eventually demolished it in the 80s, enabling the construction of, of some, some posh offices for, for UBS and other <laughs> banks there. 
and also for Paul McCartney to make a film about it. So Yeah, that's right, he did. He, he referenced it in 1985, doing something. Yeah. This is only because I was on Wikipedia looking for kind of, uh, you know, Creative Commons images to use. Uh, that's basically how I learned about Broad Street a bit. I knew vaguely that it existed. I about everything, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything um, I've ever written is basically regurgitated Wikipedia <laughs> entries. So, you know. Hey, I'm all for it. If, if, if you're foolish enough to cite Wikipedia rather than the references within Wikipedia, you know, then you're going to get marks down in your high school essay aren't you right yeah. so Moorgate right this is where so you sent me some dates and um, uh, this is where I diverge slightly because for me Moorgate was opened as Moorgate Street as so Farringdon was the original terminus of the um, city widened lines I think or the metropolitan line sorry the metropolitan line originally terminated in Farringdon very briefly you're gonna to have to correct me when I'm wrong on this because it's, it's gonna happen but they built that e- even as they were building that they knew it wasn't going to be the permanent terminus so they so they'd already got the parliament or were in the parliamentary process to build Moorgate so that's why Farringdon doesn't appear on here and then disappear again but the but Moorgate street station as it was then was built as the, as a terminus so I'm counting it as a terminus even though it's because it also did run heavy rail services into it even though the metropolitan line was a was the first you know dedicated sort of rapid transit system if you like um they did run in heavy rail trains so i'm counting it as a terminus john but um but it disappears later so you're off the hook in terms of not counting it in in, anyway i'm waffling it disappears later cannon street uh yeah another station which i don't understand very much and i've I've never used it like like charing cross uh they were both built to basically get the people coming into london bridge a bit closer to to actual london rather than just uh, bit, what was then quite a scummy bit south of the river. Yeah. So, um, uh, so where are we? 18, 1866, we haven't really moved through that many years, and you see all these stations oh, appearing. Yeah, you've got bloody loads, yeah. Yeah, uh, so St Pancras appears in 68, so that's the Midland Railway up here um, with the Grand Arch. There's, it's, there's some, in fact, Tim talked about this on Tuesday when he was talking about King's Cross. It's quite interesting. Between King's Cross and St Pancras, the engineering principles that allowed you to build an enclosed train shed moved on quite substantially. So King's Cross was about as big as a suspended arch you could create for a train roof. And then St Pancras opened and obviously it pushed right out and, and was this huge kind of um, uh, arch uh, structure. And it was just, yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting comparing the two. Uh, and they look great together. Anyway, moving on. Liverpool Street. Okay, so we have Broad Street. Next door appears Liverpool Street, um, which essentially makes the form of Bishopsgate Station redundant, I think. I mean, yeah. not quite, but but almost, which I think is what... Yeah, so then pretty rapidly after, like a year later, they just closed Bishopsgate to, to passengers. So that disappears. Um, and then Blackfriars opens as St Paul's Station, which is a term... It was a terminus... The history of Blackfriars is a bit weird because it sounded like it was a terminus, but most of the trains didn't actually end up terminating there, and they ran onto like Ludgate Street or something. Yeah, I mean, you can. We're no doubt going to get into this when we inevitably end up arguing about the <laughs> ontology of what a terminus actually is. But you can you can make the same argument with London Bridge, which is it was constructed as a terminus for some services. It still is a terminus, but also it's a free station for a bunch of stuff. So it's that. Is that a terminus or, or, or not? So I'm, yeah. I'm totally count. I mean, yeah, for me, it's got terminal platforms. I'm, I'm quite happy for it. I'm, I'm not hugely hung up on major detail rules because the rules are there to be broken. So uh, I, I think it counts as a terminus. It certainly yeah. is included on our list. Um, yeah, uh, and then we. Okay, so now we're getting to the end of the of the nineteenth century. You know, it's we're in eighteen ninety nine, and the Great Central has just arrived. Sorry, it wasn't the Great Central when they started putting the bricks down. It was still the 
whatever it is, there's something and something or other, Sheffield, Manchester and Sheffield joint doody doody, the London extension of, um, before yeah. they renamed it to something that actually people can remember. Um, I, love, I love the Great Central Railway, just the kind of the ambition of this yeah. thing. Like, they, like you can still see on the tiling in Marylebone tube station, some, some letter and reading Great Central. Um, and they had all these ambitions to kind of, you know, create this massive station to provide services to, to you know, Manchester and Sheffield and, and I think Leicester and all these places. And the only problem was there already were places to yeah. provide services to <laughs> Manchester and Sheffield. So it never, it never really came off. Um, and and like, I think they only ever, they, they were planning eight platforms. They built four of them. But in a sort of unlikely twist, it's, I think, one of the only London rail terminals that's actually expanded since privatisation. Because, really? because, yeah, Chiltern Railways, which, which is in charge of the services out of there now, um, there's something, I don't really understand the contractual structures, but for some reason, I think they've got kind of like maybe longer contracts or more secure yeah, income. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure some of the people chatting away on the channel will yeah. tell me. <laughs> yeah. um, but it means that they've actually kind of invested in infrastructure in a way a lot of the private train operating companies haven't. So, so they've built two more platforms. Uh, you can now get services from Marylebone to to Oxford, which didn't exist um, a few a few years ago. There was a period of my life a couple of years ago um, where I was travelling back and forth to Birmingham an enormous amount, and I discovered that even though it's it's significantly quicker from Euston, but it's a much nicer experience mm. if you Marylebone. The trains the trains are more comfortable. They're much emptier. They don't smell of sewage, and they have free <laughs> Wi-Fi. So, so genuinely, if you're ever doing London to Birmingham and you're not in that much of a hurry, go go on Chilton Railways in Marylebone. Trust me, you'll enjoy it more. Like, I'm not a huge. I'm free, I'll freely admit I'm not a huge fan of of privately owned train operating companies. Um, but Chilton Railways is an example where actually it, it did. There was some success. It was a way to get around the intransigence of Her Majesty's Treasury in that they actually did spend some private money on upgrading the line. It's like one of those weird situations where it, maybe it did sort of work in this isolated pocket, like. Um, yeah, um, is actually a success story. Chilton Railways, and, and part of that was because they had a long. You know, Adrian Shooter negotiated a longer franchise, or for whatever reason, they got a longer franchise period, so they could actually make that investment. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was good, um, and they had a long-term plan. A drum that I bang a lot. Right. Uh, all right, we're back to Moorgate again. So, 1904 is where the Northern City Line pushed its way into Moorgate. Um, which I think is the date that you've given me for Moorgate Station. So, um, yeah, so the, the, this weird, dark, but, but nonetheless forward-thinking, heavy rail-sized uh, tunnels that were driven, they were driven into Moorgate, but the, you can still, in fact, one of the platforms, the one that didn't have a horrible crash, you can still see the, the, the tunnel shield, the original tunneling shield is still just off the end of the buffers. Um, correct, I think that is right, isn't it, John? You can just, if you peer, oh yeah, you can see, yeah, if you go, so go down, if you're a nerd enough, you can go down the platform, um, or look up one of my pointless perambulation threads where I took a picture of it. You can see the Great Head Shield at the far end, where they act- the original one they used to dig the tunnel out, which is quite cool. Um, I think the plan was that they were going to continue pushing it forwards onto bank. Didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Um, I think the Bank of England vaults turned out to be in the way. And that turned out to be a more, more difficult uh, obstacle to negotiate than, than anyone expected. Um, but yeah, I get, this this might be a good point to to have that sort of ontological argument, oh, which yeah, is so. As I understand it, the intention was that Moorgate would be an alternative city terminus for the lines coming into King's Cross. Yeah. But in practice, I don't think that ever really happened to any great extent, and it basically got parted off. Like the Moorgate to, I think it was originally Drayton Park, 
I don't even think he even went as far as Finsbury Park. The, the, that line originally was just, it was part of the London Underground for a very long time. And to be fair, you go down to the, the Northern City Line platforms at Moorgate now, and it does look like a tube station. It doesn't look mm. like a mainline rail terminal. So, so is that a proper London terminus or is it something else? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? I, I'm, because it's heavy rail, whatever that means, um, I'm, I'm willing to tick it off as a, as a, terminus, as a terminal. Um, but I agree it's ambiguous. And I mean, the furthest you can get is like Letchworth, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and like I that, think people, people had sort of, I don't know whether this plays into it. This is just me making stuff as I go along. But uh, part of me feels like people had already had their habits sort of hardened by this point. They'd already established that the way you get into that, if, if you're coming in on, from the lines in the King, on the Great Northern, you come in into King's Cross and then you find your way with a, either, either a hackney carriage or, you know, get the, get the Metropolitan Line to wherever you're heading to. I mean, the Metropolitan Line was phenomenally successful by this point. 1904, it was, you know, incredibly successful. So I, I think, yeah, uh, lots, of comp- lots, lots of trains did try and run into Moorgate, but it just didn't. And also, from a capacity perspective, there aren't that many trains you can run into a couple of dead-end platforms like that. It's not actually that It's too platforms, so, yeah, there's, there's no flexibility there whatsoever. So. Um, yeah, so we've had a question from, uh, which, which I think we can ask now. Where has it gone? Uh, oh, crikey, it's disappeared. Oh, here we are. Michael C. asks, uh, do we think that the Northern City Line will ever be extended? It has huge potential. Well, that's an interesting one to discuss for the three minutes we've got, since it's already half past and we haven't even started yet. Uh, yeah, no, what do you think, John? Um, I mean, I saw someone on the thread say it's beloved of Cranisters, and I know exactly what they mean. Yeah, yeah. In that, like, I remember, like, one of the ways I got into all this nonsense was sort of hanging out on nerdy Usenet groups, you know, 20 plus years ago. And drawing lines on maps um and in, even then i remember it was one of those things that everyone was sort of bored of hearing over and over again because i'd say oh what why, why can we not just extend that a couple of stations like a new cross route and it'll be much more useful take it south of the river we'll connect it up and then half a dozen bored middle-aged men and go bank of england vaults can't, yeah. <laughs> can't build. like there are there are reasons you can't do it or that it would be incredibly difficult to do but I think, I think maybe you, to do it, you would have to sort of rebore a lot of the existing tunnel to make it lower or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, I think so the, it, the Thames, I think you're right. I think the, it, it is quite low, but it's not low enough for you to actually sensibly get under the Thames, I think, safely. So, yeah, there are loads of reasons why it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's a non-starter, really. Yeah, um, the, the, the reason um, people drawing lines on maps love it is because if you look at the map, it does seem so obvious. It's like, well, you only need to go a couple more miles and you can hook up to something else. And make it much more useful and then brilliant you've got this new cross river link um but that's kind of seeing the world in two dimensions and forgetting that like actually there are there are already things down there that might be in the way and so on so, so i visited um the um one of the access shafts for Crossrail, and they had some of the and, and i kind of you know my day job is a permanent way design engineer so i'm used to working in the vertical plane but it's a whole different world when you're in tunneling um and they had one of the vertical alignments stretched out. So we create longitudinal profiles for, for above ground, normal Brio railways. But when you're doing the tunneling underneath, the ver- and they had all these all the foundations in there, and you could just see the, the vertical alignment across rail is dipping and diving to get around and under some of these things, despite the fact that they've also got the flexibility to, to weave around horizontally. Um, funnily enough, tunneling through one of the most complex subterranean uh, labyrinths in the world is tricky. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, funny remember the, the thing that came out with that that big documentary series about Crossrail, the fifteen billion pound railway. Um, the, the one thing that really sticks to me about that is is this idea of the eye of the needle, this point around Tottenham Court Road where they're digging a tunnel with something ridiculous like six inches of clearance <laughs> on the side before you kind of start accidentally demolishing the central line and knocking out <laughs> power cables or something. And that is that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's fundamentally there is there is not as much free space under London as you think there will be at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it's something that Elon Musk hasn't grasped. Is that like the underground, the world, the subterranean world is not just some homogenous sort of uh, cheesecake that you can plow as many tunnels as you like through. Like it, it has properties, and there are already things in it. Um, anyway, let's not talk about him anymore. Uh, right, where are we? Broad. Oh yeah, we've killed off Broad Street. Oh, we jumped. So uh, yeah. yeah, eighty years have passed, and we've had eighty years of most of not really much change, which I suppose pretty much sums Britain up at that point, doesn't it? Well, maybe not. But certainly in terms of like the railways, rather, pretty much were in stasis from the early 1900s to, to 1986. Certainly heavy I, rail in that, London. There were a lot of operational changes. Um, you know, that was, that was the period where they kind of came into public ownership. You also had things like, you know, two world wars and the creation of the oh, yeah. mania and all that bullshit to, to deal with. So it was, it was a fairly busy time, but we weren't really sort of in the habit of... And also the Beeching Report, obviously, in, in the early 60s. Um, but that, that barely, barely touched London. So, so there wasn't a huge amount of, of development going on here. Although, actually, as a side note, um, so, so I did a piece uh, for City Metric years ago that was kind of, I started out just like trying to explain something like where all the London Underground got, lines got their names from or something. But as, as often happened with these pieces, it kind of expanded in the telling and became a sort of short history of the London Underground. <laughs> yeah. And instead of being 500 words, it ended up like 5,000 or something stupid. Um, but, but one of the things I realized doing that is if you look at chronology, there's this big burst of activity in the mid-19th century. Um, then they when they're doing subsurface lines. Then when, when they develop the boring technology, there's another big burst in the early, the early 20th century. Then World War I happens, and there's, there's nothing. Mm. Like there's a couple of suburban branches and there's a change of operation to, to, you know, it goes from private to public sector in 1933. But like the, the, the only, the first tube line built between about 1910 uh, and, and, and the late 20th century is, is like 1969 when the Victoria line opens. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, after it goes into public ownership, like that kind of development just stops, which is, which is kind of depressing, really. Yeah, it is a bit. We, we, we just... I think this country can can and does struggle with a wholesale lack of vision and imagination when it comes to infrastructure, particularly railway infrastructure, which is kind of upsetting given that we kind of kicked things off a bit. But there we are. Um, and also with, with names, like the other thing I took away from doing that piece is like after, after the tube goes into public ownership, the only times it builds new lines, it names them after the bloody royal family. <laughs> so you get the Victoria line, the Jubilee line, and then the Elizabeth line. And they say, oh, come on, guys. I don't so stop hugging the bloody story. And we both get angry about Elizabeth Line anyway. It's not a bloody Elizabeth. It should have been called Crossrail. Or she's, like it's, it's she's not dead. She's not it's, dead. It's, it's weird and psychophantic. After people who are still alive. Just strange. Um, right. Uh, right. Okay. Here we go. This is our first point of contention. Bank. Ooh. DLR is heavy rail, and it also bank it's station. It's heavy. It's 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 rapid transit. It's heavy rail. It's it's not like a. It's it's it's. Gareth, what does DLR stand for? Yeah, but it's it's the Docklands Light Railway, but it's it's right. misnamed because it's called the Light Railway. Suggests to you heavy <laughs> rail. 
Because <laughs> to me, it suggests like the exact opposite of heavy rain. <laughs> but it's, but it's got to convert. Oh, you can. Anyway, I'm sticking DLR on, but I think. Um... Also, if we're playing this game, you forgot Tower Gateway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Which, yeah, but Tower Gateway was again built sort of on the, in the knowledge that it was a temporary one, right? Oh no, it wasn't. It was built with, the, but people hated it, and they, they decided. Which happened? Was it that it, they knew they were going to extend it, or was it just that people got angry and it, that it ended in such a stupid place, and they decided um, to extend it? I mean, bank bank happens only a couple of years after Tower Gateway, so they must have already been planning it. Yeah, Tower Gateway opened in like eighty uh, seven, maybe. So like, you can't kind of go through the entire planning process with something like a bank yeah, extension quickly. That's true. Um, so it must have always been planned, but it's. It, it's still there, like it's not temporary. It's still open, mm. you know, nearly thirty years later. So, so um, so the last thing, the last change was back in two thousand and nine, which is when the Moorgate uh, branch of Thameslink ended. They 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 severed it as part of um, actually building, you know, making Thameslink work properly as it does now. Which means that the Moorgate heavy rail platforms were ended. They stopped running Thameslink there in there. So that ended in two thousand nine. Which then brings us up to now, 2020, and all of our stations. There's quite a few, but the, you can see the, the gap. And it does look weird. When you look at it on a map, it just is strange seeing them. It just, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's why things like Thameslink and Crossrail kind of do make sense on, if, you, if, you forget the other, if you forget there's loads of underground lines going on. Um, it's, I mean, it's also where the underground came from, right? Isn't it? Yeah, like the, yeah. the underground was first created to get people from, from those stations north and west of London into the city as the, the business district. So... Um, so, oh yeah, so I'm, I'm omitting Bank because uh, you're the guest and, and so I have to do what you tell me to. So we're not including Bank anymore. So forget about Bank, everyone. Um, right. Whew, we're starting. Okay. 14. So, 40, 42 minutes and we're finally for, starting. I know, right. Crikey. Okay. Uh, I like this show. This is very much in keeping with my way of doing things. <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah we, we we always say to an hour, but actually everyone everyone who's a, a familiar visitor, hello to all of the viewers who are here uh, having watched ones previously, they know what they're getting into. They know that we're not going to keep to time. Uh, do you recognise the... So this this thing, this anyone on in chat, I've already told you on this, anyone on chat, the rail track, there's a designer, I've, I was, I've written the name down and I've totally forgotten it, but they designed a load of these quite nice little round idents for all the rail track stations, um, not just the London ones, but... So I've inc where, I, where they exist, I've included them as part of this graphic because it looks nice on YouTube. Anyway, Victoria, number 14. So we're, we're looking at 14 terminals. We're ranking them, and Victoria is firmly at the bottom of the pile. Yeah, there it is, Victoria Station. Okay. This yeah. is where I'm getting in trouble with my, with my beloved. Yeah, um, maybe the less said the better, but I, I think, like, it's a mess. Uh, it's a mess. Yeah. Okay. So when I when I wrote this piece in August 2018, they said, but one of the reasons it's a mess is because there are two sets of platforms of the lines going in slightly different directions. And if you're not quite intimately familiar with railway history, you don't know which side of the station you're meant to be on. Um, someone 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 criticised that and pointed out there are actually three sets of platforms, <laughs> making it even worse. But yeah, it's just it's ugly. It's dirty. I have no sense of where you're meant to be at any one time. Immediately outside, there's this kind of massive bus station um, and, and sort of smog-filled arteries. I just think it's, I just think it's horrible. Also, like the main reason I've ever found myself in Victoria is to go to Gatwick. I think, which is, <laughs> which is a whole different level of hell. Just adds that um, depression. Yeah, yeah. So, so like genuinely, when I when I started writing this, I think I originally had it in eleventh place or something. 
But as I was writing it, it's just like, no, it's worst. I hate it. It's just the worst one. So I moved it. And I'm fully with you. Like, they've even built new bits, which are which made me even more angry. So the new entrance, which is very shiny, I, like, used it for the first time. I was like, oh, this is nice. There's a good scale to this. Pop my head up like, like a meerkat and had absolutely no idea where I was and where I was supposed to go and where the actual station that I was trying to get onto trains for was. So the new bit, it's miles away, so I just got lost immediately. Uh, well, oh, was it was new well, entrance from the tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just... Yeah, over the road. Yeah, yeah, so I just got completely confused. So that's annoying. And also, from a track perspective, it's just knackered. Everything out of Victoria is just an absolute shambles. You crawl through uh, the track, you just feel the track rocking and rolling, and you bang over joints. It's just a shambles. And it all... It's like one of the most high-risk buckle areas in the country as well. So when it gets hot, everything's just screwed. It's just it's just a mess. So yeah, Victoria, firmly at the bottom of the pile. People are confused as to why Moorgate's not at the bottom of the pile. But, I mean, come on. Moorgate, at least it isn't a complete shambles that confuses people. Anyway. I think also it might be that Moorgate's not at the bottom of the pile because when I was writing this, I came up with a nice joke about Moorgate, but when they told back. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. The, that's, the veil lifts somewhat. People can sort of yeah. see the magic behind the, the story. Right, 13. This is a horrible white on yellow situation. Who on earth came up with this? I do not know. But this ident is um, is Euston, actually. I mean, it's, it sort of takes the piss. To like, is, that, is that meant to be the Euston Arch? Or is I, that I the... think it is, yes. Yeah. So they're like, well, well, maybe it's one of the things at the entrance that isn't the Euston Arch. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, one of the... Maybe. Well, there's no like, little cider pub. And yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. I mean, it would, be, it would be taking the piss slightly to kind of use as, as the symbol of Euston... <laughs> A thing that, that British Rail literally knocked down and everyone's been regretting ever since. So. Uh, yeah, so, right, I, I'm, I'm willing, to, I, I'm willing to, to admit something here, which is that I got very... When I first read your piece, I got angry where you, uh, that you put Euston so far down the pile. And actually, while I was doing these slides, I like Euston because I, I... Well, I did. I did. I've had an epiphany whilst putting these slides together, right? So I'm going to take you very briefly on that journey. I quite like... Um, internationalist, brutalist sort of hybrid architecture. Um, and I quite like being inside the main concourse. Now they've got rid of some of the crap on the f- floor. It's a bit it's a bit cleaner. T- I like looking up. I kind of like that geometric style. Then I had a realisation when I was looking at some of the aerial footage that it's just a right bloody mess. And the platform, the way that platforms are incorporated into a station, that, that journey, a station isn't just the concourse. It's actually the journey as a passenger from the gate, you know, from the entrance to the gate line to the to the getting stepping on the train actually the whole thing is really important about how you feel about a place right and how you feel about the wider journey actually Euston is awful it's so dismal yeah. for that because you go down and you feel like you're going down to like a freight depot where they've stored a load of pendolinos it's yeah so actually I've literally turned around my opinion of Euston like there are architectural elements I like but actually the the whole station building is just utterly dismal so I've gone from disagreeing to actually kind of agreeing with you on this one John you'd be happy yeah. to know I mean, like, I think it has improved the last couple of years since they've done that sort of upper level bit with, like, the sort of, you know, the food court and so on. Mm. It's made it a little bit less crowded. Um, and also, I have a certain affection for it because one of one of the joys of, of running City Metro for those years was that I could occasionally just take myself off on a little trip to, like, Manchester or Glasgow or something to go do some reporting. And I'm an absolute sucker for that sort of thing. of just like, okay, I'm going to go I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to get out of London. I'm going to talk to people about a different city and do some urban exploring. Um, and so I can think of a lot of, like, nice little trips that started mm. at Euston. So I kind of have a certain affection for it purely on that level. Um, but on the other hand, when I wrote it up, I did, I did point out that, you know, 
it would be unfair to compare it to hell because you can sometimes end up, end up in a bit of Uh But it would be unfair to compare it to purgatory because you can also end up somewhere worse. <laughs> so, and thus, Houston is worse than purgatory. Yep, so. I, which, which I'm willing to buy into, actually. So I've literally turned my opinion around and sort of putting these slides together and like, think about it and, and look at it from above. Yeah, and also just... this is this is kind of like the sort of entrance point to London from vast chunks of the country, from like you know the, you know Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow, which are probably the three next biggest cities. Um, but <coughs> any of them to get to London, you get on a train into Euston, and it is like you know, London's telling us piss off again. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, not really the greatest welcomes out there, City. So part of me is very glad that they are thinking about an overall master plan rather than just sticking new platforms next to it. I'm glad that they're just going to wipe the lot out and uh, and create something new out of it, which previously I was less un- I was less happy about. I'm at peace with it now. A lot of people, mo- so the Euston Arch thing, a lot of people say, well, they could have incorporated it into, into the station building. I'm, I'm going to try and do something new on Rail Natter. I'm going to draw a thing. The Euston Arch was pretty much here. Like, Ooh. and the station building, sorry, the Euston Arch was about here. The station building, the original station building was like right deep into where the platforms are. Like, so it wasn't just that you could have skirted around it. There's a good aerial photo showing a before and after. It's like a lot further into where the station is than people realized. Okay, my sketch is probably pretty shoddy in where it is. But essentially, it was, it's, it's not like it was here and they could have left it and created part of, you know, a way into the station. No, no, it was like right in the midst of just in the way of where trains needed to be. So, so, so it, it, they would have had to move it. They basically. would have had to move it anyway. Um, the way that it was done was obviously stupid. Like there was an idea, as often happens, of just destroying the past rather than you know nodding to it. Uh, and that's why you get these stories. There's a few people have mentioned in the chat about the fact they literally chucked the rubble in, in a river, which you know may be spurious about what actually happened to it. But yeah, it's got it's it's. it's as with lots of things on the railway, it's kind of got this sort of mystical, uh, this mythical sort of status, hasn't it? Anyway, that, I don't know what's going to happen to those now to do this. Oh, they disappeared. Good. Right. Number 12. So we've only gone through two and we've got 10 minutes of theoretical time left. This is um, just I think exactly we're going right. to Yeah, it's fine. So 12. Uh, so this is one that isn't a rail track one, so it doesn't have a rail track logo. So I started getting fancy with my PowerPoint and my, and my knockoff uh, underground fonts. Uh, this is, yeah, this is Moorgate. So Moorgate is pretty low down on the list. Um, this is one of my pictures when I went down. And, and I, I couldn't think of a way to sum up how miserable Moorgate is as, as, as like an entrance into London than having one of the knackered old 313s just sat, kind of just rust, visibly rusting in the platform. Yeah. Um, Moorgate. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really go anywhere. Like, like we were saying, the furthest you can get is Letchworth, which is you know, North Hertfordshire, but there's... It's still in the sort of metropolitan footprint of London, even if it's somewhere beyond the urban area. You can't really get very far from London on it. It is basically just a suburban rail line. It's not much. It, you, you can't go much further than you can on the metropolitan line. Um, and, and and the joke, which which I referred to and held back, which is really going to be disappointing now I actually say it out loud. <laughs> this, this isn't a rail terminal. It's a tube station going from an awkward goth phase. Yeah. And I stand by that. It's, you know, it's just a bit miserable and dark and depressing. But it is more like a, a, I think it's more like kind of, you know, the Elephant and Castle tube platforms than it is like, you know, Liverpool Street or something. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it really counts, but it's rubbish. It is rubbish. And it's the only, the only redeeming features are ones that nerds like. Like for, the, for most passengers, they don't care that it's still got NSE branding hidden away here and there. They don't care about the fact that it's got, you know, this weird winding set of steps, the fact that it's quite narrow down there. They don't care. They just, they just kind of want to use a station in it to be functional. Yeah. Whereas actually it's just, it's a pig for, for actual normal passengers who want to use it. 
I'm going to be honest with you, all that stuff is like beyond the realm of stuff that I care about. And if I don't, <laughs> yeah. then, then, then normal people have got no chance. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the only redeeming, I mean, no, there's no redeeming features. It's, 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 it's an engineering oddity. It's just, yeah, now the seven, 717s appear in there and look a bit nicer, but that's about it. Anyway, so Moorgate, rubbish. Right, I'm going to make my first apology for, uh, for uh, rationing pixels now, because I think this is Fenchurch Street. Yeah, there it is. But I could literally not find a better resolution version of this graphic. So I've rationed some pixels. That was the best one I could find. So uh, sorry about that. We're at number 11, Fenchurch Street Station. There it is. I mean, I suppose architecturally it's quite nice, the frontage there. So it justifies not being right at the bottom. Why is it on the Monopoly board? Yeah, that's a very like, good point. It's, Why? Like, I mean, how many people ever use Fenchurch Street Station? It's not on the tube. It only serves like Southern Essex. The further you can get is, is Shoebury-esque. Although to be fair, if you went any further, you would you would fall into the sea. Um, but it's you can't get more than forty miles from London. Why it ended up on the Monopoly board, I have absolutely no idea. Um, it's sort of it's sort of fine, but there aren't many platforms. You can't go anywhere exciting. It's a bugger to get to the tube from. It's yeah, and 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 so this is the first aerial where it's. I, I start. I, I referred to this earlier. I mean, good grief. You start seeing what the problem is with quite a few of these London terminals. They are substantially hemmed in. I mean, Fenchurch Street, I mean, they, they've built, they snuck a building in behind and on top of the original terminus. So they, I, I, yeah. you know, it's this pyramid thing behind it. It really is stuck and hemmed in. It's also weirdly, is that AstroTurf? Has someone planted, just laid AstroTurf on a bit of the station canopy with some bushes on it? It does look a bit like that, doesn't it? It does look like a roof garden, doesn't it? It's a bit weird. Yeah, although you do get those around the place. Like I went to a, uh, it was like a press conference followed by a drinks reception at the, well, the now the TFL headquarters in, in Stratford. And afterwards we were in the, the roof gardens, gorgeous views over, over London to the west. Um, so, you know, from a corporate perspective, I understand why people like that kind of thing. It is just weird when you kind of look down on London, you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> And for this one particularly looks a bit weird because you're just going to see the, the slightly grotty tops of some uh, electro stars. Well, not for long, but yeah. Can, uh, I, can I read out something from the comments? Oh, yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm glad you're following the comments, actually. That's good. I'm, I, yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare. There's lots of them. Hello, uh, everyone. Hello, Chris Jackson. Hello, Chris. He tells us that it's on the Monopoly board because the LNER, which is... <laughs> Uh, the, the company or, or sector at the time was running it. LNER had a marketing deal for its four termini. So there you go. It was basically it, the company running it paid for its inclusion. So <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Chris. Chris, uh, yeah, good to see you on the, on the, on the feed. Um, crikey, I love that. Of course, that's what happened. We just had a... So Dr. David Turner, my good friend, um, did a, a thing a bit similar to this uh, early in the week about railway marketing, but he didn't mention that. I should, I'll, I'll have to have a chat with him about that because it's quite an interesting one. I didn't know that. Thank you, Chris. That's great. Well, I think I think Dr. David Turner was one of the people on my list of people I wanted to get on my podcast and, and never did. So. Oh, well, he'll be. Yeah, that's. A sh yeah. Oh, look, he's brilliant. Dr. David Turner. He's also a colossal beer fan. So, uh, yeah, that's that's also, you know, a, a win. Um, we were drinking sherry last night, uh, you know, in, in, at a great distance of hundreds of miles. Right. Number 10, uh, because I've gone off on a segue. Uh, we all miss being in pubs. That's, that's basically the theme of that segue. Number 10, Cannon Street. There we are. That's a bit nice. It's a slightly nicer, less rationing of pixels. Number ten. So we're 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 getting there. We are. Uh, here's I couldn't find a good picture of how you actually get in, 
so I thought I'd give up on that and just do an aerial shot, which shows some of the original bits. And we were talking about roof gardens. Well, here's a spectacularly elaborate one on the top of the station. Yeah. Yeah, they rebuilt it fairly recently, didn't mm. they? To put a massive office block complex on top of it. So, so the roof garden was presumably a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much. Cannon Street, what, what can you say about it? Um, it's, it's all right. It's kind of nicer than it, it was. Um, it's an official out-of-station interchange with, with Bank Station, so, which, is, which is actually just across the road. So you know, if you, if you, a, a, friend, a friend of mine does this, in fact. If you come into London at Cannon Street, um, you can then get straight onto the DLR or the Central Line, um, which is quite nice and isn't shown on the tube map, which is aggravating. But, yeah, there's not really much to say, is there? It's, it's fine. It's, it's just there. Yeah, it's fine. I'm trying to find. I've got a, one of my old PW Permanent Way Institution sort of uh, standards actually has a nice picture of the P-Way coming out of of the track uh, coming out of Cannon Street. I can't seem to. I should have prepared that, shouldn't I? Anyway, it just goes to show that you know being professional does have its benefits. Um, anyway, yeah, which has got quite. There is quite a nice track layout um, out of there, or there was. Now it's a bit of a, a, a compromise, as as is the way of things. That's about its only redeeming feature is that you've got quite a nice station throw over a bridge. Uh, over the Thames, that's about the only, yeah, those towers are kind of nice, I suppose. <laughs> that's... It does mean that the district line stops too often because, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. rationally, like, Mansion House and Monument are about the right distance apart for a couple of stations, mm. but no, it's got to stop at Cannon Street on the way. So. Yeah. Um, right, so where are we going to go? Oh, here we go. Well, this is obvious which one this is. I'm not even going to, so number nine, we're in the single figures, and it's uh, Marylebone. Yeah. Uh, and I think quite a few of the signs still have the old Chilton Railways branding, which is why I use that here. Um, yeah, Marylebone. Okay, here I've sort of talked about this. It's like it's a, it's a nicer way of getting to Oxford or Birmingham than, than um, Paddington or Euston. There's a decent pub there. It's it, it's a you know it's it's actually just a sort of nicer way of doing things, even if it's a little bit less convenient. Um, so it's 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 good on balance. It's fine. Yeah. I I quite like Marylebone. But it is, a, it is a bugger to get to if you don't live literally on the Bakerloo line. Yeah, yeah. I, I like this aerial shot because it really does show the, 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 what they thought it might become. You can see the portico in the central position of the entrance. Um, and you can see where the, you, you can sort of see the, the concourse. And then just hidden in the back corner are the few platforms they've, they've built. I realise it's quite small for you, John. But um, yeah, this picture is quite good because it just, you see that big round building thing is built on mm. top of land that was originally going to be used for the full... And you can see, when you look at the old... When you go onto the National Library of Scotland sort of old mapping website, which is brilliant for getting lost in, um, you can see you can see the shape that the, the, the terminal platform or the, the kind of the station throw would have been had it eventually expanded to be the great... Well, literally, the great central terminus of, of, of London. Um, as it happened, it didn't work out that way. And it's just got these little... Pla poxy platforms in the corner which just looks a bit strange no it is, it's kind of a shame but uh it's you know it is bigger than it was so mm. it's one of the few bits of the london rail infrastructure that's that's grown over the last few decades so you know fair play yeah yeah so kudos hence why it's where it is you know it's not it's not further down anyway it is nice I'm, i mean i'm not a huge fan is it is, does that count as arts and crafts architecture i don't know i'm not enough of an architect to know but the the actual architecture of the station it's it's kind of nice, but I'm less of a fan of that than I am of some of the stations we're going to get to briefly. So that's my that's my complaint. But it is it is from an operational perspective, if I'm going to get techie for it. It's a nice station. It's quite you know well modernised and uh, you know it's good. Anyway, I'm waffling again. Number eight. Where are we? 
Oh, crikey, yeah. Charing, Charing Cross. Cross. Yeah. yeah. Charing Cross. Again, I've gone for an aerial shot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it, Charing Cross? It's further up it's... than Cannon Street, so it has to have some redeeming features, John. So, I mean, I think it's... I think I sort of, like, put it up halfway up the charts because it's... I mean, it's a horrible station. It's, it's grim. <laughs> it's tiny. It's dirty. It's cramped. But it's in a really good location, which actually very few London rail terminals are. They're all slightly out of the way. Charing Cross is, is actually in the middle of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in five minutes, you can be in Soho or you can be on the South Bank. Um, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's a good place to, to, to sort of end up. Um, so even if the station itself is horrible, it has the redeeming features in terms of its location. It's the one where if, I, if I've been like throwing um, tomatoes at the police or like, th- you know, having a placard on it with something uh, particularly sort of communist or whatever. Um, this is normally where I end up because you walk off sort of you walk from the top of the of um, Whitehall and you end up you end up just about here at this corner. I'm pointing out that no one can see. Um, and yeah, so I often so that's the only time I'm using Charing Cross Station is when I'm escaping from uh, being at Parliament uh, or sort of you know uh, at Trafalgar Square making a, making a nuisance of myself. So uh, yeah, uh, obviously you no, know, be nice to your police, everyone. Uh, right, anyway, let's move on. So number seven. Oh, this is another oh, pixel rationing. We're only halfway. Oh, we've just broken the hour mark. So thanks to everyone for still being on. We've got a hundred people watching, which is quite nice. Yeah, we're doing all right. Hello to everyone. Um, right. Yeah, pixel rationing, but this is Waterloo. Waterloo. I've got a I've nice... I've got Waterloo far down. Huh. Yeah, Waterloo's pretty far down. So there it is. It's, really? It's, yeah. Well, there's a lot of good stuff further up, you see. Yeah. Although this okay. and Paddington, I, you know, I'm... You know, yeah. So anyway, Waterloo, well, it, it benefited from a massive reconstruction, didn't it? Um, and I don't mean more recently. I mean, at, at the turn of the... Or sort of just after the 1900s, they rebuilt the whole thing. Um, and it kind of makes a bit more sense as a result. You've got quite this nice long concourse, which which makes the station make sense because you've got nice sequentially numbered platforms. Yeah, yeah. it's massive. Um, and yeah, I think it's got more platforms than any of the others. Yep. Um, which is which is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it does mean that, you know, if you're by platform one and it turns out your train is at platform 20, that's, that's, that's a hell of a jog you've got in front of you. Um, but on the other hand... Um, as you say, they're kind of they're all next to each other. There isn't like a random bit where suddenly you have to like go for a tunnel and end up in a different building entirely. Um, and it, it has a sense of occasion to it. You again, like Charing Cross, you're sort of in central London rather than on the fringes of it, because because for a long time, like London, sort of pretended the South Bank didn't exist. So it's very it's very close to the centre of town, and there's there's a sense of there's a sense of grandeur to it. Um, with the big clock and you know, it being so massive um, like to an extent I think the sense of grandeur kind of like overcomes the fact that you can't really go that far like, I think the furthest you can get is yeah. like Devon which you're better off doing from Paddington um, it's not like one of those like King's Cross or St Pancras where you can really go a genuinely long way um, it's, you can only go like 100 miles or something um, but it is yeah it has a sort of grandeur to it um, and it's alright yeah so halfway down the rankings there you yeah. go yeah I, I, a lot of people are interested why this is uh, lower down than Liverpool Street, which I am too. But maybe, maybe, maybe that'll become more clear as we as we get to Liverpool Street, which is which is um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think it looks. This shot's great as well because you can see the international platforms. This obviously this is when they were still um, reinstating the international platforms as, as um, suburban uh, connectors. Uh, it's still I, I love it. I think it's a great. It's a it's a good station. Um, 
I really hope they don't box it in. There was a there was a, a brief hint at one of the Network Rail people hinted they might put a box a box over it and sell the land above and build things. I'm like, don't do that, please, don't do that. Natural light is actually a, a benefit. It's a good thing. Keep natural light on your bloody stations. Anyway, ah, oh, number six, Paddington. Yep, Paddington. Paddington Station. We're sort of getting to the ones I actually like now. Mm. Um, um, yeah, people, I don't know why, but a lot of people say they hate Paddington. I actually really like it. It's it's a pain in the it's a pain in the ass to get to, but I think the architecture is is glorious. It's the way you can see all the way through to the platforms. Um, you've got your tiny Peruvian bear, you know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I like the I like the look of the place. I think as a station, I think it's really nice. I think the problem with Paddington is just that it's not it's not really in London, is it? It's not really in central. <laughs> I mean, it's bloody miles from anywhere. West London doesn't count. <laughs> miles from anywhere you want to go, the area outside the station is incredibly grim. So so basically, it's kind of a sixth place because I really like the station, but I kind of hate where it is. It's yeah, I've never dwelled around Paddington. Like, there's no reason to dwell. I think maybe I, I once did a pointless London meandering, and I and even then, I think I spent about ten minutes going and looking at the how little progress had been made on the Crossrail station, and then walked yeah. back downstairs again and ran away. Like it's yeah. The only time I can remember like voluntarily like hanging around out there was a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, around the time I wrote this article, um, I did a walk. Uh, with with the Guardians, Jim Waterson from from Woolwich to Paddington along the line of the Crossrail route to see see how finished it was, uh, and the answer turned out to be not very. Um, but having walked like fifteen or sixteen miles or something in the course of a day, we stopped we stopped for a pint around Paddington before he had to he had to run off. Um, that's the only time I can remember actually being there voluntarily. Are there any good pubs at all nearby? Oh God, no. no <laughs> That's, that's good advice. I have, yeah. yeah, see, I, I have mixed feelings about Paddington because I, I find getting into the station, I mean, what's the main, en- is the main entrance to just walk down the ramp thing at the side? I think so. Yeah, um, see, that's a bit rubbish. It's a bit like Waverley. I love Waverley because it's chaos. But then I think about it, it's like everyone has to go down, like the access to Waverley is rubbish. And actually Paddington's access is a bit rubbish as well. Well, the, I think the new Crossrail station might help with that because I think they're maybe doing a bit of work on the other side. Um, Waverley is another weird one because I think it's actually... I mean, I don't think it's a, a great station, but I kind of like the sort of way you kind of like have to go down a bunch of steps from wherever you are in Edinburgh to get to it. But there is a weird thing. Like, am I right in thinking they actually had to drain a lock to put the railway yeah, in? Yeah, it wasn't just any lock. It was like a full-blown poop lock. Like, it was like, it was like the cesspool of the, of the city. Like, oh, all, right. of, all of Newtown tra- new and Old Town drained into the Nor Loch. Uh, and it was... So to be fair, by the time it was, by the time they were expanding um, Northbridge Station and, and sort of draining it, it had kind of it was more like a, a, a shitty swamp anyway yeah. at that point. So yeah, yeah, no, but they did have to drain drain it. But it does like like Edinburgh is is one of my favourite British cities in terms of like the look of the place and like like the view from Princes Street at night is where you can see like the other Royal Mile and up to the castle. It is genuinely magical. It looks like a fairy tale mm. town. Um, but it's always struck me as weird that, like, in the exact middle of the city, at the place where you think there's going to be a river, there's just like a massive chasm with a route. <laughs> I love. I think that's probably. Yeah, I, mean, I love Edinburgh for all sorts of reasons. You know, I was born there. Maybe that's one of them. But um, like, I just love it. It's just a chaos city, and it's not a real city, but it's also huge. And you forget how huge it is because it feels a bit like a, a, a fancy town that someone's built on a, a like an OTT Hollywood budget. Um, 
But yeah, I think maybe the main reason I like it is because the whole city is built around a corridor of railway. Like, it really is like the whole city's been built around like, this, 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 this sort of valley of railway that kind of goes through, which I think is brilliant. Um, good grief, seven minutes past. We're not doing too badly, I suppose. Ten past seven. Um, yeah, so, I, I, yeah, mixed feelings on, on Paddington uh, for me. But it's, I you know, it's, it's nice. We about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, I think the crossrail bit will help a lot because actually it'll improve the... It might well improve how much Paddington gets used. Uh, mm. Yeah, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and I'll, yeah, well, anyway, let's move on. Right, number five. What is number five? Uh, oh, of course. Yeah, why is this? Little... Why is this here, John? Why is Liverpool Street here at number five? What? Okay, so so two reasons for this. Uh, one of which is I can't really think of any grounds to criticise it. I think it's basically fine. I kind of like the. <laughs> I, I, I like the architecture, the, sort of vault, the vaulted ceiling, and you know I think it works perfectly well. It's in a decent enough location. There's kind of there's, there's there's stuff that you wouldn't hate to be next to immediately outside the station, which is which is not true of all of them. Um, but if I'm honest with you, it probably gets extra points because it was my childhood station. Ah, uh, this is the um, of course. Yeah, I grew I grew up in one of those sort of Essex suburbs uh, that's going to be on going to be on the Elizabeth Line. So, so my way into London was via Liverpool Street. So, so I'm probably marking it up for that reason a bit. It's yeah. It's, sorry, go on. I do literally, I do literally have a framed picture of Liverpool Street somewhere like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Again, see, what I, I don't know whether I put the picture in. Oh no, I haven't. I've got a nice picture of the front. Yeah, the architecture is really nice actually um, of this corner. One thing that I do find weird is that they built a. Uh, no, that's that's not what I wanted to do. Wait a minute. Just at the, just out of shot here, that they they rafted over the station, and then built built a skyscraper on it with with like a pond, which just which means you get this slightly weird end of the at the other end. It's a bit weird where the the, the canopy valances happen, and then there's like a concrete box with like not much light coming in. It's all a bit it's a little bit weird, but I suppose you know land rights and all that. Again, it's another station that's kind of getting more trapped. I think this building here with the tiling that looks a little bit knackered and old on the um, right of the picture is where Broad Street was. Is that right? I think it is, isn't it? Um, I think it probably is, yeah. That's now the, the Broadgate office complex. Yeah. So, um, yeah, mixed feelings. Uh, the, like the shopping thing in Liverpool Street is a bit is a bit tacky. Is it like an 80s slightly? I don't know. Have they pulled that? Yeah, that's still there, isn't it? I, I, yeah. Oh, the, the little tunnel that goes through to, to Broadgate, that one. No, I mean, like within the station, there's all the shops, and they have that like slightly sort of, um, uh, sort of late. Well, yeah, yeah. All right. A, a bit like it's similar to Victoria's uh, one as well. Victoria's got that horrible sort of plasticky internal shopping palisade thing. Uh, uh, it's not think about Victoria anyway. There's a reason it was at the bottom of the list. Right, Liverpool Street. Anyway, anyway, that's a nice picture to end on. It looks good, and it, it, it again, the P way is awful. Like the approaches are awful from an ops perspective. Um, it's it's a bit of a nightmare. Uh, the the track alignment is sufficiently fiddly that the square the new square nosed um, Stadler flirt units can't use it, the, the the crossovers because they made them with square noses and our railway tracks are very bendy in the UK. So that was a bit of a mistake. Whoops. Um, but it's getting I have no idea fixed. what any of those words mean. Uh, sorry, John. I have yeah. absolutely no idea what you're saying right now. Basically, I'm moaning. I'm moaning. Crossrail, crossrail helps. Is all I'm going to say. Crossrail is a good thing uh, for Liverpool Street. It means they can actually make the most of the the upper level station a bit. Anyway, I digress. 
I did, I did this already. Any guesses? This is I couldn't find an actual proper logo for Blackfriars, so I thought, oh, let's get out the old stock brick uh, image. And uh, yeah, it's Blackfriars. Because this is the only logo I could find, is they actually just got the sign outside with some backlighting on it. Um, Blackfriars is brilliant. I'm so glad it's high up on the list. Here's, yeah. a, here's a nice picture under construction. Yeah, no, I mean, it's absolutely glorious that there's now a station that literally crosses the Thames. Um, my, it, it does annoy me. They haven't found a way of uh, demonstrating that on the tube map. Um, yeah. you know, m m most of the ways I see this stuff kind of relate to how it's shown on the tube map, to be honest. Um, but it's so, it's so light and airy. Um, and, you know, you can get off of the north bank of the river or on the south bank. And the platforms are literally above the Thames. I just think that's, that's a thing of beauty. It is, you know? it is awesome. And the views out across London, some of the best views in London are as you're going through, looking out that window. I think probably the person who's filmed that view most, um, or at least posted the films of that view most, has to be Mr. Tim Dunn. The amount of times that he posts just a video of him going along, and he always, he's always looking to make sure nothing, and he always carefully lines up so that the sign finishes, and he's, getting, he's too good at it. He's done it far too many times. But the view's terrific, particularly when the sun's nice and low. And all you get that glimmering on the city, and it just looks it looks great. Love Blackfriars. Um, it also has solar panels on it, which makes the railway look like it's futuristic. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that you'd expect to see in like the old Sim City, like the, a, a, like yeah. a like a cool futuristic looking bridge station. Anyway, terrific. We're, we're well, which sort of I mean, like something I haven't really appreciated until like looking at the list again now is like all these ones at the top of the list. Basically, the more recently a station has been rebuilt, the higher up my not Not quite perfectly, but that is basically the rule. Like, these last four are all ones that have fairly major work done within yeah. the last dozen years or so. Yeah. So. It's, like, funnily enough, if you invest in public infrastructure, it looks nice, uh, mostly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is where we start getting more contentious. So, only in at number three is, is King's Cross, is the stunning yeah. King's Cross station. Here it is. Look at that. Beautiful. Um, I mean, yeah, what? <sighs> Again, it's like a few years ago, this would have been very near the bottom of the list. It's kind of crazy to me that the station that in terms of like, you know, passenger miles was like, you know, you do the grandest journeys like the East Coast Main Line all the way up to, you know, Newcastle and Edinburgh and Aberdeen departed from this, this place with like a tiny, tiny platform. Mm -hmm. Um, like ridiculously small concourse hidden behind this sort of temporary 70s frontage that had just been left there for decades. But they finally got around to, to redoing it over the last decade. And the new concourse is is stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's very easy to use. They've kind of like, they've done a clever thing they actually don't tend to do on many railway stations where they've kind of separated arrivals and departures. Yep. So to get to your platform, you kind of use that bridge over the concourse and all the way, so so like that kind of increases capacity because you're not banging into people coming the other way, um, and it's just it's absolutely glorious. Again, there's a sort of personal there's a personal thing here because like I lived basically next to King's Cross Station for a dozen years. Oh, really? So, so, yeah, yeah. Until um, I the time I wrote this article was was only a couple of months before I moved out. But yeah, I was living basically around the corner from there to from uh, January 2007 to October 2018. So, so it was. It was a station I knew very well. It was my local tube station. So, yeah, this is. I mean, again, it's, it is about personal bias. This was always the gateway for me. I've always lived on the east coast. This was well, nearly always lived on the east coast. And this certainly when I was travelling, this was the gateway for me into London. So I'd come through, and I just, and I also love. I suppose this comes from my like architectural interest. I quite like the simplicity and elegance of the King, of King's Cross compared to its 
slightly showy neighbor shall we say so i've always liked it being understated but it is it is quite pokey like if you consider like the the, the ridership it is quite pokey compared to the midland station next to it you know it's quite an understated thing um but it does look great yeah it is crazy to me that it survived with that with that limited platform for so long yeah. i mean something it, it is it was for a long time one of the places um where i would bump into people i knew because like you know i was i was a, a university reached from king's cross and you were bumping to people on the platform all the time because you know everyone getting on any of the trains at that station was squeezed into this ridiculously small um so it's like yeah it was basically that and the coach and horses pub in soho <laughs> the only places in london where i've randomly bumped into people i know more than once <laughs> yeah it's it's good and, and and yeah as you say like if this was still where it was before and, the, and, the, and it was still in the red light district and it still had, in fact, that's probably one of its redeeming features when the original uh, entrance was there. Like the, it was just a mess before and really was horrible. And now it's brilliant. Um, number two. And now number two, I, I'm fully with you. We're at London bridge for number two. I feel I should have had the top of the pops theme tune from like 1998. Shouldn't I? I don't know why I should have lined that up. It's probably royalty free somewhere on the BBC. Uh, some thinking of the countdown music i can do that if you want oh yeah <laughs> yeah so london bridge here's another picture you see a lot of these are where it's under construction that's because i've that's because they're from the network rail helicopter so they were making actual technical use of it um yeah L london bridge station i think it's brilliant i love it it was awful until they finished refurbishing it it's, it's another one that until very very recently like literally in the last when did they finish it? It must have been 2017, like, something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's still, there's still plastic bags on things now, so you can tell it's like not quite... It's very recently finished, yeah. yeah. But for ages, there was that... Again, there was a ridiculously small concourse which you reached by simply walking past a bus station on a slope, and then you'd be in this... Like, like the, the concourse the size of a postage stamp, but it was in, the floor was always sticky for reasons. Oh. <laughs> and then you had to walk down this kind of like dark, dingy alleyway get to any of the platforms um yeah and it was horrible uh and a few years ago they just kind of like they opened up this massive new concourse beneath it which is which is incredible it's just glorious public architecture yeah. it's 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 the closest thing and has to something like grand central i think yeah where this kind of you know this where you can the station itself feels like a sort of destination yeah. now um yeah, it's glorious. And I th yeah, the architecture inside, I love it. I absolutely love, I mean, I love clean concrete, but better than that is the combination of clean concrete with the, the, the original brick around it. It's just this wonderful harmony of architecture. It looks terrific. The scale of it, it's like, this is a station. The, the railway is a big, awesome thing. You're going to come in here and be impressed by this structure. I just, I adore it. I, I do think it's brilliant. I think it's, it's one of the, it really is one of the great new stations we built. It's a model for which we should, you know, let's face it, Birmingham New Street could have been a bit like this when they refurbed it. Instead, they didn't do that. They made it as rubbish as it was before, arguably even more so. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I think, I think Birmingham New Street is much, much better than the old Birmingham New Street. That, that's not, that's not hard to be honest, but you but. still you still get suffocated by knocks when you're down on the platform, though. I, I, like, whereas at least this, it was like the whole station was considered as one. Like at platform level, it's a nicer space to be. Still a bit narrow in a few spots, but that's needs must in such a tight spot. But yeah, but, but is that because like a London Bridge, the concourse is beneath the platforms? Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, whereas like Birmingham New Street is above them, so they're all inherently underground. Okay. Yeah, there there there, there were plans from there are a few little teardrops of glass. Anyway, you know what. 
New Street is another discussion to be had, isn't it? Well, given that we're 19 minutes uh, into <laughs> um, into overtime at this point. Anyway, we both agree. Liber- uh, London Bridge Station is is an absolute stunner. I, I adore it. It's so good. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's it's very pleasing. Which then brings us to number one, which all of you have worked out which one it was going to be because we haven't mentioned it yet. Of yeah. course, it's St Pancras, the wonderful St Pancras International. There's a nice picture of it with with the slightly more austere looking King's Cross in the background. It is it is a stunner. I mean, tell us about your tell us about your love of, of of St Pancras, John. It's just it is objectively beautiful in a way. Very few of these actually are. Um, you know, you've got that glorious sky blue roof canopy. You've got the massive clock, um, and also just the grandeur of like you can get on a train to the continent like in the summer. Um, on all that four or five occasions now, I've got on the train in St Pancras and got off in Marseille in the Mediterranean, and nearly seven hours later, and that is just that is a wonder of, of the world that you can you can get on a train in London and get off in the Med. Yeah. Um, so this is the combination of like you know form and function. It is one of the most exciting stations in terms of where you can end up, and it's also one of the most beautiful. So, so like reading back the list now. I'm not sure whether, like, maybe, maybe it's, it was quite close between that and London Bridge, but I think on balance, I do, I do think St Pancras should be at the top. I absolutely agree. The magic of um, of the destination, the idea, even if you're not going anywhere, I'm in St Pancras a lot, and I'm very rarely travelling anywhere because I'm broke all the time. But um, it is really not, like even just the magic of you know, there's a station, a train pulling out, that hum as a train pulls out on its electrics. And you're thinking, oh, I wonder where they're off to. I wonder, wonder what, what, what. That's the start of some incredible journey off into Europe. It's great. I love it. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's and the train shed's huge and very grand, and it is very smart and tidy. Uh, yeah, it is. It is brilliant. And I, I'm always a bit like, oh, I prefer King's Cross to St Pancras. But I think you're right. Like, it's that magic, the the the, the idea of journeys that can take you to these most incredibly exotic places. That I think they do swing it. Um, yeah. Although to be fair, from King's Cross, you can you can get to Aberdeen. So, <laughs> Don't Paris, me. Aberdeen. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It is true. Ah, oh, well. So, on balance, I was thinking that we were. Yeah, I was thinking that I was going to like dispute more, like maybe Waterloo and 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 maybe. But actually, to be honest, they do all end up nestling pretty much exactly where you've put them. So I don't know, and there haven't been that many really angry people disagreeing with you in the chat either. Actually, I've been keeping a sort of one eye on it. Not that yeah. many people have been swearing and screaming and shouting, so it's good. Disappointing, cowards! Yeah, You're all cowards. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. They're being I'll too nice. All on. One it's... by one or all at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was um. Yeah, it's uh. So what? Yeah, so that's that's a nice picture I took when I was in there. I, I quite a thing that really annoys a lot of people is that sign, which I love as well. I love the neon sign. I don't know, maybe you're not not a fan. I think it's great. It's a nice little, like. it's, it's a nice little jazzy thing. And in fact, I like this picture because it's even more than before. Now we're in kind of like COVID lockdown. It's even more poignant looking at that piece of artwork, I think, than ever it was before. First it was Brexit, and now it's uh, now it's COVID. Anyway. Um, there's just a romance to it, and like it is crazy that they, how close they came to demolishing it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's another thing that plays into how much is again. It's that that story of the fact that it's this this underdog. We love a we love a thing that nearly comes to destruction and yet somehow kind of resurfaces. And St Pancras very much falls into that camp. Yeah. So um, so we've got this. We've we'll come back to our map of London uh, London terminals. Um, what now? Basically, it was, it was just to look. Yeah, to think about which I suppose. In terms of big changes that are coming up, 
Euston's getting totally rebuilt. We've had what else is get London Bridge has already had its rebuild. There's not that much going to change. I think Victoria's there are some early talks about re, reconstruction. Surely it's such, it must, it's such a mess. But but in terms of the others, I think it's not Liverpool Street and Paddington are obviously both losing a bunch of services to Crossrail. Yeah, that kind of frees up platform space for other things a little bit. Um, yeah, that must be about it, isn't it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And, and in terms of new things appearing, I don't think there are. I don't think there are any plans for anything new going on really in terms of major terminals you know Houston is going to kind of do that job uh and unless and, and even if that you know even if in 40 years we're getting a high-speed line down to sort of uh Southampton which isn't necessarily that crazy an idea they might well try and use Victoria because Victoria might have had a bit of freed space from you know Crossrail 2 or whatever so I don't think we're going to see any new terminals appearing in London no which is I mean London we're not doing bad for rail terminals, are we? I mean, when you look around the world... Yeah, you look at Manchester, yeah. say, and... <laughs> I mean, New York does not have 14 rail terminals. Yeah. Even if you start counting things like Hoboken or Jamaica, then, <laughs> you know, London is, London is doing all right in terms of its number of rail terminals, so... Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and, it, and it's part of the, the, the intrigue and the story. It's not just rail nerds who are kind of aware of the different stations and the stories they tell. You know, the, they're characters, they're kind of characters of London, aren't they, these stations? They, they, kind of, they, they each have their own little sort of um, aura and, uh, and, and, and an idea that, that tourists have of each one. Uh, although I bet not many of them actually go and visit Moorgate's uh, Northern City Line platforms, in honesty. Yeah, why, why, why would you really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, something I found with, with uh, City Metric very early on is you can get non-rail people interested in this stuff because they, they, they engage with it. Like, they all look at the tube map. They all have to travel by train. So, like, if people, people relate to it, even if they would never sort of consider themselves a rail nerd. If you express strong opinions on this stuff, People will respond to it by either violently agreeing or violently disagreeing, and that makes lovely, lovely traffic. So, 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 yeah, that's that's why I started doing articles like this, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, yeah, it's presumably one of your more popular, like one of the ones that's continued. I mean, I'm still, I still, you know, we're doing a bloody YouTube podcast on it, like years after you've done it. So it's it's a thing that continues to a lot of people are interested in and enjoy enjoy getting angry about, but realizing that probably you're actually right. Which is obviously, as a writer, that's your most ultimate satisfaction. Is like people people confirming that you're actually right. Right, we've got a question from David Ooh. Shepherd, who's asking again: oh. Should all London rail terminals get replaced by Crossrail Thameslink-style through tunnels? That's one for both of us, really. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, you're never going to want to divert like Edinburgh, Edinburgh services south of the river, are you? Um, I think there is a case for. In fact, like years ago, like again, some point in the late 1990s, when I frankly should have been studying for my a-levels um i came up i came up with a, a plan for sort of doing a london rer network of you know like like they have in paris um and sadly the the map is lost to, to time because if it wasn't i would have republished it on city metric years ago uh, <laughs> but but you can still somewhere on the internet find find the sort of list of proposals they had but I think it's fundamentally, it's never going to be worth the money. Like, it would be nice if you could kind of divert more and more of the, the suburban services onto those kind of like RER style or Crossrail style tunnels. 
so that you kind of like free up space uh, at the terminals for the longer distance services. But you will always need terminals for for the trains, you know, that go beyond the sort of metropolitan footprint of London. I think. When when you, the the reason that things like Thameslink work from an operational perspective is that you don't they don't have long dwell times and they fan out through the central core. There's a big fan of different services at the end, so you don't need loads of platform space at the outer terminals. Whereas for the long distance stuff, generally these terminals they're the focus of lots of services, um, but they need ages to sit and get cleaned and, and they have to you know, do things like wash out the toilet tank, whatever it happens to be. They, they need to do things, um, well, clean it, and turn, get the driver to turn up, all these things that you don't need on a suburban service and you need platform space for that. So terminals, you have to do it somewhere. Terminals, I think, are always going to have a role, um, as you say. So, uh, yeah, interesting question. What other questions are there? Uh, um, oh, I, got asked, I got asked one on Twitter oh, go for it. to ask you if you're interested um, from... from from professional Yorkshireman Tom Forth, oh, yeah. who, who who would like you to explain in detail your wrong opinions on double decker trains. <laughs> double decker trains that are awful. Uh, yeah, so double decker trains are a thing that get brought up a lot as a why don't forget HS two why don't we build use double decker trains for starters just rebuilding the the, the overbridges so that's the bridges that go over the railway that to fit double decker trains through would cost probably twice as much as HS two will so immediately it's not an, it's not an alternative to HS two secondly we don't have big enough stations in terms of platform space to sit double decker trains in because they take longer to get people on and off so that longer dwell times means that we you need long wider stations. You look at the stations in Europe that have lots of double-decker trains parked up. They're big, they've got loads of platforms, far more than we have. We just haven't got the space. Also, we don't have the, um, you know, the, from a signalling perspective, we don't have the, uh, we just don't have the, our infrastructure not designed for those sorts of trains. Another point is that from an accessibility perspective, they're awful. Um, they work in a few places in Europe where they've got nice low platforms, but unless we replaced everything with double-deckers, you'd end up with stairs, and they just would be, an awful experience for anyone who's got a bicycle or a pram or is it uses a wheelchair and all these things. So, um, no, I, I don't like them. I think they're bad. It's far better to have long trains uh, that you can spread passengers out nice and evenly and everyone can get on. Uh, no, double-decker trains are just bad. And in fact, in, Fra in Paris, uh, they have big regrets on, on buying more double-decker trains for the RER because they take ages to get people on and off. Actually, it'd be better if they had single-deck uh, uh, carriages like we have, but they put more trains through so there you are tom thanks for watching <laughs> uh you can continue to call out my views yeah 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 so um that's 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 my thoughts um yeah double decker trains maybe there's going to be a, maybe we'll get tom on and he can tell me why i'm wrong on a future rail matter uh maybe that's that's a good idea we'll do that See, it's good. He actually came on the very first episode of my my uh, my nearly late lamented podcast Skylines. Um, so he's worth having on. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Tom, yeah, Tom. I mean, and he can tell people about open data because that's one of my like things I like to wave every now and then is tell people that open data is a really good idea for railways. Anyway, right. So um, let's let's bring up let's bring side by side face on. I can do some producing for once. John, thanks so right. much for for joining us Thank tonight you. for this another hour and a half long. Uh, 50% overrun podcast. Yeah. Excellent. I'm an engineer. Yeah. I have to overrun by 50%. It's just what I do. As long as you budgeted for it. <laughs> um, I should say that actually from where I'm sitting right now, I can, I can see a railway junction, which is very on brand. I live, I live right next to a railway junction. So, so I, I had to close all the doors and windows to, to this room. <laughs> so that we're not constantly interrupted by train noises, which means that if, if we don't stop fairly soon, 
I'm going to expire from heat exhaustion. So Similar, actually, yeah, it's a greenhouse in here because I've got the sun shining right through. Although I'm a bit sad that you've stopped the train noises because surely that would have been precisely the ambience we needed for the... For the anyway, we, I, I, I could, I'll add some in post. I've done this before and you kind of make jokes about it like, oh, yes, like an, an insight into my sequel world. But really, it just means you can't bloody hear anyone talk. <laughs> yeah. um, honestly, the, the, the day I, I moved into this flat... Um, it's, which is a lovely flat. I've got these like, glorious southeast facing windows. Um, but the day, the day I moved in was, was, even though it was November, it was quite a sunny day. So the sun had been shining straight through the windows. It was a greenhouse effect. And, and obviously, like the, the last people who lived here had just gone, or the removal men had just gone. So it was incredibly hot in here. So I had all the windows wide open. And every 30 seconds, the train would go by. And I was just like stood there dead eyed going, I've made the terrible, most expensive mistake of my life. I'm never going to be able to think about anything but train noise in here. Um, and within about, honestly, within about an hour, you just stop noticing it yeah. unless you're making podcasts. So, yeah, yeah. well, that's well, yeah. Well, maybe that that's kind of that's continuing to fuel your um, your your rail your rail interests by just having that kind of. Uh, yeah. constant noise of, of trains kind of in your subconscious. We're going to have one last question, which is um, from Richard Smith, who asks, do you two agree on whether the DLR is a tube line? That feels like the next rail natter for you two. Uh, it's not a tube line, it's the DLR. What do you think, John? I mean, I agree. Yeah. This, is, this, this is a callback to a weird internet feud that um, the New Statesman's political editor, Stephen Bush, and I had in about 2017... <laughs> Where we've got like a podcast and about three different articles out of this, um, <laughs> and we banged on about it on Twitter so much that eventually, YouGov put out a poll, um, and like genuinely a major national pollster asked two thousand strangers <laughs> to settle this for us. Um, and I wouldn't mind, but like they, different elements of the question they agreed with both of us, so we could both claim a moral victory, which is the important. That's thing. the important thing. Yeah, definitely, that is the important thing. Well, thanks so mm. much, uh, John. It's been really good fun. Um, it only remains for me to say, um, oh, uh, thanks to Heel for podcasting this. Hopefully, we described the images in reasonable detail for those of you who just listened to it. Um, uh, and uh, oh, next time, my friend Alex is joining us to talk about how weather destroys railways. Uh, so that should be interesting. There's a nice picture of Dolish getting smashed to bits. Um, so Excellent. yeah, Alex Priestley uh, is going to join us next week. That should be fun. On Wednesday, we're back to the normal slot. Um, that's always you know people like weather, right? We're in Britain. Everyone loves talking about the weather and railways. It's it's the it's the match made in heaven. Um, oh, and and obviously I have to get a plug in, which is uh, if you want to vote on what the next theme is, then go and Patreon me. Uh, what, or support me there. Laugh at my uh, laugh at my tears, which are all very track related, um, or throw coffee at me, or whichever takes you fancy. Um, and and it only remains really for um, for John and I to say to say cheerio. Thank you, John, and thanks everyone for joining. We've had yeah lots of people can, joining us tonight. Can I can I very quickly show? I wore my branded oh, t-shirt. Yes, I was going to say you should plug. Uh, yeah, houses and trains and airports and infrastructure jobs. Yes. I love that t-shirt. It's it, actually a t-shirt that, yeah, I, I, it's one of the t-shirts that was like, actually, I really want that. Build on the green belt was another alternative that I was thinking. Like, I haven't, I, I haven't slept very well, and it seemed like a really, a really cool thing to get turned into a t-shirt. And then I forgot all about it until I, it arrived, and I was like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I quid on this for? Um, yeah. No, and I, I people in people in the street do genuinely stop and argue with me about it. So, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, which is great. Yeah, gives gives you some additional stuff to write about. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, pe people who are generally the guests I've had are, are kind of bigger than I am, so don't need to do any advertising because everyone knows what they're doing. But have you got anything you'd like to plug? 
Um, not really. Um, follow me on Twitter if you don't already, but I suspect a lot of people already do. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, oh, no, actually, actually um, my podcast, Skylines, uh, which is a city metric podcast, is coming to an end with the next episode, which is number 150, which will be a very long special episode <laughs> with, with almost everyone who's ever been on the show more than once coming back for a final appearance. It's going to be like two hours long or something. So pity my poor producer. But that will be out sometime over the next couple of weeks. And it's, you know, it's, it's the final episode of a podcast. It's been running for four and a half years. So, so please tune into that. Oh, lovely. That, that should be nice. So more, more like multi-hour uh, content for people who enjoy yeah. that sort of thing. And yeah, adios, everyone. Enjoy, enjoy your weekends. And uh, see you next week. Cheerio. Cheers, guys.